Welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders just like you who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation. I'm your host, Trey McKnight. And in this season of the podcast, we're interviewing some of the speakers we're hosting at Orange Conference 2022 this April. We'll talk about what it means to be human and how our churches can better care for the humans in our communities. Now, we're so excited for you to get to hear this conversation with our interviewer, Dave Adamson, and our guest, John Acuff. John is the New York Times bestselling author of six books, including his latest book, Soundtracks. He's helped some of the biggest brands in the world tell their stories and has spoken to hundreds of thousands of people. John has been seen on CNN, on Fox News, and several other key outlets, and he's written for Time, Fast Company, and MSNBC. More than 4 million people have read John's blogs, and he has more than 285,000 Twitter followers. We can't wait for you to get to learn from him, so let's dive into the conversation. Here's what we know is true. You're listening to this podcast because you believe in what you do as a ministry leader. You know that every early morning, late night, and meeting that could have been an email is so worth it. And when you believe in what you do this much, you do everything you can to make it better. You know that the mission is too important not to try something new. And that's why we created the Redesign Your Ministry to Last course from Orange Masterclass. Join Reggie Joyner as he unpacks the five essential values for your ministry that will last far beyond a person, a model, or yes, even a pandemic, and innovative strategies to help you elevate them in your ministry. Start working on your ministry, not just in your ministry, today by going to orangemasterclass.com. John Acuff, it is so great to see you, my friend. How are you? I'm great. It's been a while. It has it, been, it feels like it's been nine years, but 2020 made time kind of warped. So I and, don't know how long it's been. And 2021 wasn't much better, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it started out wobbly, it got the speed wobbles halfway through, and then yeah. the wheels kind of fell off. Um, but it is good to see you. Um, you know, I, we're, we're separated by space and time, but we've spent a lot of time together. And so I just love getting to see your face and making contact with another human being, quite honestly. And, and that's really what I want to talk to you about today. You know, we're in the lead up to Orange Conference and, and the whole theme around Orange Conference is going to be Be Human. So, John, I just wanted to start by asking you straight out of the gate, what, what does it mean to you to be human? What does that mean when you think of that, that idea? Well, I think it means to be messy. Um, I think it, I, th I think it means to be messy. I think being a human is, is a pretty messy experience. Um, mm. I think it involves a lot of thinking. Um, I always, you know, I think it was, this is such a dad thing to quote <laughs> the, uh, little house on the prairie. Amazing book series, Little House on the Prairie. Pa, the dad character, talks about a muskrat can only make one type of home, but a human can make a million types. He doesn't use the word million because mm. I don't think it had been invented then. But it just really <laughs> stuck with me that a cardinal never thinks he should be different. A cardinal will never build a nest underground. Like mm. it can only make one type of nest. Every cardinal you've ever seen only does one type of thing, but a human is just the opposite. So I think to be human is to be messy and creative and curious in ways that make us really unique. And what happens when you put one messy human in a room or in a Zoom call or, or online with a whole bunch of other messy humans? What, what, what happens then? 
it gets exponential. And the control freak in the room has a little bit of a panic attack. Like that's what, you know, like the person who loves an Excel spreadsheet because they're not messy has a hard time. Yeah, I think that's what's really fun is that we can create things together and one plus one, I mean, take marriage, for instance, one plus one never equals two in a context of a marriage. Mm. Like two people pushing in the same direction is a million. And so yeah. that's what's fun is when it, when it works, it really works. And when it doesn't work, it gets, it gets even messier. So, John, one of the ways a lot of people listening and watching this would know you is from the stuff that you post online, especially uh, from a social media point of view. How easy is it to act unhuman when it comes to the Internet? Uh, you deal with this a little bit, I, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's a lot, I mean, it feels easy and safe. Um, the challenge is that the bar for what's not safe is so low now mm-hmm. that you can step over it by accident. And so mm. I think there's a lot of people that go, I'm afraid, so I'm going to make sure I'm super, super not human. So that's one yeah. reason people aren't human. The second is I want to look a certain way and what's real is messy. So I, I don't want to look that. So I'm going to not be human. So I, I think the, I think in general, my big belief is when there's a... When there's a lens present, it's changed the moment. I don't yeah. care. I don't care how grounded you are or connected. If you're filming a moment, you've left some degree of the moment. Yeah. Like you're now presenting a moment, and you might still be there emotionally to a degree. But when you're when you're filming a moment, you've left the moment to a degree. Some people leave a hundred percent. Some people may only leave ten percent. But at that ten percent is still really important. Yeah. So, so, you know, a lot of the people who watch and listen to this podcast, John, are, are church leaders. How does the church avoid being unhuman? I don't even know if unhuman is a word, but how, do I, how does the church avoid that when it comes to social media and, and the stuff that they're putting out online? Uh, so a twofold question, actually, because as I think of it, I want to I tackle it in the social media space first, but then also the church online space. So in the social media space, how can a church, what advice would you give to church leaders to avoid being unhuman online? Well, I, you, you keep connecting it to real people. So yeah. an example would be, okay, we posted this and so many people got mad. So many is not a number. So yeah. many is, is fear. That's one person probably that got really mad. So as a church leader, you go, how many people, how many did, mm. how many people wrote negative comments? How many people sent a negative DM? And if mm. the answer is two, don't say so many, don't say yeah. everyone. Cause what happens to creativity is we go, everyone hated that. And you go, Oh wow. Wow. We better not do that ever again. And it might've been one person. That's the one you remember. Yeah. So I think as a church leader, you're constantly going, well, well, how many, like, yeah. was it a lot? Because social media kind of amplifies the angry at times. So I think that's one way you stay human. The other way is that you stay connected to like, if you're the one in charge of posting social media at your church, you stay connected to the other people you work with. So yeah. you're not isolated on this island um, and you're just posting, posting, you're not getting any real feedback. So, I mean, there's yeah. times where an example for me would be, there's times when my wife will go, I think that thing you posted came off the wrong way. And I think you rushed it. I don't think you thought about it. And there's another angle and you go, oh, I didn't even, you're right. And I might delete it. I might edit it. But unless I'm in human relationship, it's very easy Mm. to kind of become inhuman as I post something. And so I think staying connected to people. And then as far as how do you stay human 
outside of social media? I think it's the same answer. You stay in relationship. Yeah. It's impossible to stay human if you're not connected to humans. Yeah. Like it's impossible in this room for me to have perfect empathy if I'm not in real relationship. I yeah. can write about empathy. I can research empathy. I can research goals, whatever the topic is. But unless I'm connected to real people and they go, yeah, here's this thing I struggle with. It's all theoretical. And eventually- yeah this big gap opens up between the theory and the reality of humanity. Yeah. And so for me, I'll take it even further because there's a lot of leaders that listen to this that stand on stage. I stand on stages. I, I tend yeah. to speak to corporate audiences, but when you stand on stage, a gap immediately opens up between you and the audience. Yeah. And your job, part of your job is closing that gap and you close it with humility. You close it with curiosity. A way you can tell somebody is not treating an audience like human is when they ask a question and they don't give the audience time to process it. So I go, have you ever felt that way? And then I immediately move on. That was a fake question. That mm -hmm. was me using a fake question as part of a speech. It wasn't really human. But if I, if I say to a crowd, it could be a crowd of a thousand, I go, have you ever felt that way? And then I pause, pause, pause. It, I have to stand there in the silence of the pause, yeah. but it gives somebody in the crowd the chance to go, have I ever felt that way? And now mm. there's a more human experience versus I'm just using a question, but I really don't care about your answer because I'm moving on to my next point. So there's all these yeah. little subtle things like that to me, make somebody, make a situation more human. Okay. Loved everything about that. There was so much gold in there. In fact, I'm going to encourage the podcast and, and the YouTube watchers to go back and just take a couple of notes there because there was a lot that you touched on. You just gave some great advice for people who are, whether they're public communicators or whether they're pastors who have to preach on a Sunday about how to connect with people in the room. But earlier you brought up how as soon as you start filming something, there's a wider gap. There's a really big disconnect. How do you bridge that gap? How do you do what you just described on stage down the barrel of a camera for, for the church leaders who are still doing hybrid church or still doing some version of online church because of the pandemic? Well, I mean, I think you leave the mistakes in, you, you know, if you want to, you know, I, if I catch myself <laughs> re-recording a bit about authenticity 10 times, something's broken. So like, I think you leave the mistakes in. Um, yeah. I think in general, we forget that mistakes make us human. And there's yeah. like, depending on the mistake, there's a comfort there because I go, oh, okay. Like Yo-Yo Ma, the famous cellist said like, once I've made the first mistake, I can kind of relax into the piece because mm. it, it means it's real. And so for me, I think you leave the mistakes in. Mm. I think you do your best to talk to somebody that's in that audience you're communicating with. Yeah. It's one thing to write for teenagers. It's another thing to be in relationship with a teenager or a group of teenagers and then go create something. It yeah. takes longer. But I think you can tell when somebody hasn't spent time. And I think your examples sound like the examples you think they would have versus the real ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, my, my, my example for me would be my two daughters and I are working on um, a book about soundtracks for teenagers, a book about how do you have a mindset that's, you know, healthy if you're a teenager. And they're working on the copy with me, writing it with me. And they'll go, Dad, this is like, such a dad joke. No teenager would ever think this. Like the example you've used is 20 years old. Cause I haven't been a teenager 20. That's, that's adorable. I haven't been a, <laughs> a teenager in what, like 30 years. So I can go this kind of, so I think some of it, I just, I just love when you can tell that there's something real there. There's a texture there. And yeah. so I'll give you one more example. I, I have this book that I wrote about, about overthinking. And one of the questions I encourage people to ask is, is it kind? Is the thing you're telling yourself kind? Yeah. Um, and I'll say, I'll say, you know, if you said it to a friend, would they still want to be your friend? But that's, that's a fine enough line, but it's not, it doesn't have a texture. So yeah. then when I say, 
Well, the other day I was on a podcast and the podcast host, because a lot of my podcasts keep going from a talk about the book to a talk about the host. And that's when I know <laughs> it's a hard conversation. The podcast host said, oh no. And I said, what? And he said, well, for nine months, I've had the number one podcast in my category. And the soundtrack I've been telling myself over and over is you're just lucky. You're just lucky. You're just lucky. Mm. He said, if my friend came over and they had worked really hard for nine months, I'd never say you're just lucky. So why am I okay saying that to myself? Mm. And so if I share that story, that's real. And the heart reacts to real and goes, oh, John didn't in a laboratory come up with an example. I paid attention in a real human moment and then I shared it with other humans. I think that we as humans can tell when that's happened versus where it's just a good example that's correct and accurate. And I think the best books, the best sermons, the best podcasts, there's a layer of realness that the heart can identify with. Yeah. So now I feel like I need to make this about me in order for this to be a really good podcast. Got a lot of black on. I've, that was yeah. the first thing I was going to talk about. So much. Black. I don't know what's going on in Australia. I see the reports, but there's a lot of. It looks like you're in a it's like a funeral kind of mode, like here. and it's a hip funeral because you got a hat on. So maybe it's a Hillsong funeral. I don't know what you guys. Are doing there. Um, that's it's exactly what it is. It's ex- <laughs> and I've got black skinny jeans on as well, just for the record. All black. Uh, just black, so you- what color is your wedding ring? <laughs> <laughs> is it black? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so good. You're like uh, ACDC down there. I'm you like, have turned it all. Wow. Great. Great Australian band. One of the, probably one of the back in best. black, that full circle. See, see, there it is. Yeah. There it is. So, so you talked about kindness and, and this is where I wanted to, I wanted to touch on that just a little bit. I, I interviewed, um, did an interview for the podcast with Mark Batterson not too long ago. Oh, yeah. And, and he talked that he was talking about human as well. And, and I said to him, one of the things I brought up with him is the idea of human kind, right? We talk about this word humankind and part of being human is kind. And it's interesting to me that you brought up the idea of kindness as well. How important is this idea of being kind to other people part of being human? Well, so, and I'm sure I'll talk about this um, at the conference, but so when I share that question, is it kind? Like when Mm. I go speak to a group of salespeople that are, you know, moving fast, they're hustling. Like I can feel the temperature of the room change because it's a soft question. Is it kind? Feels like we're going to get in a drum circle in Malibu and light sage. Like it doesn't feel like a high performance question. So then I'll relate it to science. And what I always say is Google did a study um, where they launched something called Project Aristotle. They wanted to know what do our most successful teams have in common? So some of our teams are great. Some are okay. What are the most successful teams have in common? Can we learn that and then teach other teams? So they spent millions of dollars studied 180 different teams, used 35 Mm. different statistical models. And the number one thing that the data showed that the successful teams have in common was something called psychological safety. And psychological Mm. safety at its core means that the team is safe for three things. You can ask questions, you can suggest new ideas, and you can admit you're wrong without being treated unkindly. And what happens is if you as a team, if you can't ask questions, learning's over. Learning has stopped. If you can't suggest new ideas, innovation is over. You'll never innovate. And third, if you can't admit you're wrong, you're doomed to repeat the same mistakes you already made because you can only fix things you admit. Um, And so the kindness matters. So that's what's really interesting is I, I feel like there's a lot of science catching up to the to that the heart matters, that we're whole yeah. people. If anything, in the last 18 months, I've, I've probably done 50 events, a lot virtual, some live. 
and I'm keep running into companies that are going, we're recognizing that we have wholehearted people that work for us. And yeah. they could be a hedge fund, they could be a healthcare company. And they're saying, how do we encourage people? How do we feel like they're, they've been really struggling for the last year and a half. So I think if anything, in the last year and a half, last two years, we've recognized that we have a humanity and yeah. we're talking about it more and there's people addressing it more in healthy ways. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, all the research that Bonner and, and all the, you know, Pew and everybody is starting to do is showing that. Uh, I mean, I read something literally just this morning that 79% of Gen Z feel lonely, which is ironic because they also spend seven and a half hours or 7.3 hours on their cell phone every day connecting with thousands of people on their Instagram yeah. followers, right? Yeah, but it's a, for, it's, a, it's a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. <laughs> like the best digital connection is still a photocopy. And so that's the, like, when you have a world where I can eliminate needing to go to the grocery store, like yeah. minor thing, but I still see a neighbor. I yeah. still see Peter, who's the elderly bagger that bags the groceries. Like yeah. when you can eliminate every real human interaction that comes at a cost. Yeah. Now there's, I love convenience. I love simplicity. Like I don't want to wait in line for an hour for a concert ticket. I'd much rather order that online. So I'm not a Luddite where I'm like, technology is bad, but there's things we're doing that have a cost to us. Yeah. And so if you said to me, I ordered Grubhub and never saw a human for a year and I feel lonely, I'd go, yeah, yeah, you, you do. You, yeah. you, of course you do. Or I ordered my groceries and they delivered to my front door and I never saw a person like that has a cost to it. And we don't yeah. like to admit that, that a lot of times convenience comes with a cost. So, so just on that, then, you know, all the latest uh, conversations around church for church leaders is what is the next step of church, right? Yeah. We, we had to do online for a period of time. Now doors are opening up again. Do we drop online? Do we dial back the digital? Do we do a hybrid model based on what you just said? What do you think, John, is the future of the church? I think it's hybrid. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you, it's, you know better than me. So this feels like I'm describing the ocean from somebody who lives near a river. Like you, you know better than me on this stuff. But my big thing is, you know, for instance, there's a, a couple at our church that just started attending. And when we started to talk to them, they moved from Baltimore and they've been going to our church for years, but now they live in Nashville. They've just mm. been attending online. Mm. So I think that pastors have to understand there's a lot of people you don't see being served in ways you don't know. Yeah. And we've seen that over and over this year where somebody go, I'm in Taiwan and we could only get an hour outside every day. And so we had watched church online and we, I don't even know how we found your church in Nashville. So mm. I think there's always going to, it's always going to be a both and. Um, I think where churches get in trouble is when they over-focus on one or the other. I think yeah. in the same way that Orange, like Orange will always have a great virtual um, version because two years ago, three years ago, live stream was like the thing nobody liked to talk about. You'd be like, yeah. hey, there's this super annoying guy named Greg in Tulsa who wants the live stream. We got to do it for Greg and be like, some dude would plug in a computer and be like, and the live stream was patchy. Now there's an expectation of we can fit 8,000 people into arena. We can fit 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, whatever into a live stream space. How do we mm. do that? I think it's going to be a hybrid. Yeah. I completely agree. You know, I agree. We've had enough conversations about this. The next, I want to stay online for just a second. And I'll, yeah. I asked you a, a kind of a question with a negative tinge to it, right? How unkind are people online? But I also want to ask you the positive version of that. What is the kindest, what is the most human thing that you've personally experienced 
uh, on social media or, or on some online. Oh yeah. Yeah. Channel. Easy. So here's an example of why I still love the internet. Like there's a lot of stuff that's tough. There's a lot of, I deleted Twitter from my phone. I never would have thought I'd do that. I deleted hmm. Twitter because and it was probably last, it was maybe 18 months ago. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just wow. kept getting into stupid fights. It was my most used social media platform. It was where I kind of made a lot of my conversation happen and I just couldn't do it anymore. And it's been really, really healthy. I still use it on my computer, but it's, different. I don't exit as, as many moments because I don't have my computer with me so yeah. with my kids. And I think if something's sarcastic, I don't go, hold on a second and exit the moment. <laughs> I don't go grab my laptop. It's back at my house. I don't have it with me. Yeah. Um, it's still part of my job. But so like, I definitely feel like there's parts of social that I'm kind of winnowing for my life, but there's also a lot of beautiful parts. And this one is a small one. I was on a flight and I looked out the window and there was a man that worked for American Airlines and he was in a vest and he was one of the luggage. He was like a luggage supervisor or something. And he was bent over talking to these two dogs that were in kennels. And he, mm. you could tell, I couldn't hear his words, but could you tell that it was encouraging? He was like, yeah. he had all this positive body language. And I posted that and I said, Hey, dear American, it's awesome that you guys, you know, this is how you treat pets. And, and his wife within an hour on Facebook said, Oh, that's my husband uh. the type of dogs. They were, here's why he does that. He really, and all of a sudden, all these other pet owners said, Oh, it's, it warms my heart to know that if I fly, that's how you treat. And so that full circle, yeah. where the wife gets to one, be celebrated. Like I was celebrating him. Like this guy is killing it. I love yeah. that. She gets to see her husband celebrated. She gets to complete the circle. Little things like that to me are absolutely amazing. And then the second one I'd say is when I do like an online challenge, say I do like five day lesson where I go, Hey, I'm going to talk about perfectionism. And yeah. I do a free kind of Facebook group and I share about it. When other people say me too, or like I do that too, it makes you not feel alone. The yeah. problem is so many of our hum human issues, we think we're the only one. Mm. So we think we're the only one who overthinks this. Like even I had a friend the other day say, yeah, I get stressed out on Sunday afternoons. And I was like, oh, me too. And he was like, you? Like, you seem really positive all the time. I was like, oh, no, like I dread Sunday afternoons and I, re I work really hard to kind of prepare for them. But I know that's part of how I'm wired. Mm. And our interaction that way, the me too of, so where I can text yeah. him on, a, I have it on my calendar every Sunday to text my buddy. And I text him, hey, it's Sunday. Like, how's it going? Little yeah. bits wow. of technology like that can connect people and seeing that you're not alone. And that the third one, I said the last one, but I had a young guy who's early 20s in one of my kind of challenge groups. And he said, I feel like I've already missed my opportunity and it's too late for me. And to see and a hundred people in the chat came around him were like, dude, you're in your early 20s. Like, it's not too late. You've got so much. And to see a 50-year-old, a six-year-old, there's 70-year-olds in this group go, hey, not only is it not too late, you're in your early 20s in a goal setting challenge. That is yeah. amazing. Like I wasn't at 23. I wasn't <laughs> like, I'm going to sign up for a goal setting challenge, see if I can challenge myself a little bit, work on my performance. And yeah. so to see this community come around and lift him up was really awesome. That is so good. And, and just for everybody who's watching and all listening, I just want to, John, can I just call you out on this? Because this is not just something you say. This is definitely something you do. Because a couple of months ago, you texted me and just said, hey, I'm hearing all these reports about Australia and COVID, are you doing okay? So you, you've literally done that to me. And I can't tell you, the uh, the investment of your time was probably small, right? However long it takes you to, to, to bang out a text. But the investment on, the return on that investment on my end was huge because I just felt completely seen. And, and even though the reports were wrong, I still felt like at least John's thinking of me in this when he saw that. And that meant the world to me. 
Well, and that makes it human too, in that, you know, I know I'm seeing a fragment of a fragment of a fragment yeah. on the other side of the ocean. So like the I in that like I spoke at a, a virtual event for the United Kingdom the other day and I joked in it and I was like, I get you guys. I've seen Ted Lasso. I know how England works. Like there's this, that, you know, we kind of have these small things. And so I was like, I care about Dave, but I also know he'll tell me, Hey, no, here's, here's yeah. what, you know, here's what life's like. And that's human. Yeah. So like, I love, I love to do that because it encourages you. I get to learn, I get to grow. You yeah. get to go like, Hey, let me no, Let me fill you in with something that's true versus yeah. something that's hype. Yeah. Don't let the fact that I'm wearing all black lead you to think yeah. that things are negative here. Cause can I call out you're wearing black as well. And I, uh, it's really like a forest <laughs> green. Like if Mariah Carey was going to wear a sweater and like all I want for Christmas would be this color. It's a forest, uh, <laughs> no. I don't, forest green. Really? Okay. It is. Uh, it is. We believe the work you do on the front lines with kids and teenagers is the most important work in the world. Every meeting with a small group leader, email to parents, and late night supply run matters because you're helping kids and teenagers develop an everyday faith. On average, you have about 40 hours this year to influence the faith of kids and teenagers who come to your programming. That means you need to be intentional about your messaging strategy. Orange Curriculum is a comprehensive strategy for birth to high school. Each age group curriculum not only provides you with strategic messages to engage kids and students with biblical truths, but also resources to help you train volunteers and partner with parents. So start using Orange Curriculum to spend less time planning your message and more time doing what only you can do, building relationships. You can get started today at tryorangefree.com. That's tryorangefree.com. So, so I love what I love what you're saying about the kindness in in, in social media and, and how we can do that. I think you've provided some great tips. But let's be honest, John. We 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 often overthink social media, right? Because we we have to project this thing. We, you know, I always say that you know to my kids because I got three daughters is don't compare your real life to somebody's highlight reel oh. on social media or on Instagram. But how do we, so so based on on everything you've said and the book you've you've written. How do we not overthink social media? Well, I mean, I, I think one is you realize it's nearly impossible. It's nearly impossible. So stop beating yourself up that you keep doing it. Yeah. Um, I like to joke, you know, Facebook has 53,768 employees. All of their job is distract Dave. Like they don't have your name on a to-do list, but that's ultimately secretary, assistant, executive. Their whole goal is more of your time. That's their yeah. business model. Yeah. And so the odds are not stacked in your favor. There are swarms of designers, developers, programmers, brilliant people going, okay, how do we make this app stickier? Yeah. Like if you ever feel like, wow, I keep scrolling through Instagram endlessly. Yeah, that's by design. Mm. So the first thing is you go, okay, the odds aren't stacked in my favor. So yeah. how do I start to even the odds a little bit? What do I do? And so I always tell people, like for me, a really simple way I even the odds and not get stuck in comparison is I leave my phone in the kitchen at night. Mm. I know when I'm tired, end of the day, I'm going to go to bed. Like my phone isn't invited to the bedroom because I yeah. know if it's near me, I don't have the self willpower to be like, no, it's time, it's time to read Ecclesiastes. Let's not look at Instagram. Like I'm gonna, I'm going to scroll. I'm going to watch dumb videos on YouTube, whatever. So I plug it into a different room. The thing for me that kind of hit me with social media 
we were in Costa Rica on a spring break a couple of years ago. And we're in this, like on this cliff, like overlooking this Pacific ocean. And there's an infinity pool at this resort. And like two toucans would fly by almost if released by like a handler. <laughs> it was gorgeous. And I looked up and everyone was on their phone. And I thought mm. if this scene is not enough, like a boring thing doesn't stand a chance. Think about that. If you ever are at something amazing and somebody's tuned out and on their phone, of course they'll tune out during hard things. Yeah. Like if they're going to miss an amazing moment when they have to do something that's challenging, awkward conversation, dinner party or whatever, they're going to tune out on social media yeah. immediately. So for me, some of it is like, okay, do I leave it somewhere? Do I just disconnect? And then I also think it's really good. I always tell people, if it makes it hard to love someone in real life because of their online life, mute their online life. Mm. If you have a relationship wow. that is harder to really love somebody in real wow. life because of their online life, mute them. The real yeah. relationship is worth more. And yeah. sometimes somebody's processing something, you know, they're going through something. And so they're living a different way than what might be real. Like we all have friends where you go, that photo does not match what I really know is going on. And there'll be a disconnect and you can maybe start to like wow. feel bitter or frustrated. I'd rather just mute the person and maybe I'll come back around. Like maybe yeah. I will, but I'd rather get to know the human part of them versus the produced part of them because mm. I'm not trying to be part of their audience. I'm trying to be their friend. Like, and so that's, oh, that's good. different. That's so good. I'm literally reaching for a pen to try to write that down because that that was awesome. What you said about, um, I, I think you just gave a whole bunch of great tips, right? First of all, delete Twitter off your phone, <laughs> only I, access it on computer. I, the way I said it is I didn't need that much anger in my pocket, my own anger and the anger of a hundred million people. So I just didn't, good. there's too much anger in my pocket. My pockets are pretty small. Then you said, charge your phone in a different room. So that yeah, at night, I don't take it to bed with me. Like it doesn't like, but I feel like you, I feel like you slipped in a, a really thing for you. It was probably just a, a passing comment, but I think you said something really profound at night. You said you realize that that's for you. That's a trigger point where you're oh, more yeah. likely to, cause you're tired. Your willpower is at its lowest. Like it's at its lowest. It's there's all these studies that willpower is, is finite. You have, yeah. you know, it ebbs and flows. And so yeah. if you know, same with me on Sunday, Sunday afternoon is a more stressful day than Friday afternoon. You yeah. would, nobody would go, that doesn't make sense. Of course it makes sense. So yeah. I need to know, okay, if I'm in this moment, then let me be smart about that. What does that look yeah. like? So part of that is I always say self-awareness is a superpower. So yeah. I'm trying to learn myself so that I can't be surprised by the same thing a thousand times. Like I want to keep kind of iterating. Yeah, and that, so that's, that's part of human too. Dang, that's so. That's another really good one. Self awareness is your superpower. But you also said, you know, that that if the way that you love somebody is impacted by the way what you say online, mute that. So there were so many fantastic tips in there. You also brought up comparison really quickly as well. I want to want to just circle back to comparison. Comparison is one of those things that we all deal with when it comes to social media, especially right. That can, to the point of your, your most recent book, that can produce a soundtrack in our head that just spins negativity. How do we get over that, John? How do we, how do we stop comparing? How do we stop comparing ourselves negatively to that person who's on Instagram in that idyllic scene on vacation while we're you know, stuck, chained to a desk? Yeah. So the, you trade out, the first thing is you trade out a word, over versus through. Over is a word of perfectionism. I can get over fear 
I can get over comparison. No, no, no. You go through it. How do I go through comparison? How do I go through fear? Because what happens is if you go, I've learned the thing now, I'll never compare again. You're, yeah. you're going to like, that's part of being human. So you go, how do I go through it? So, I mean, for me, if I know the person, then it's easier to go through the comparison because yeah. like I, my counselor said to me, a true sign of friendship is when you can celebrate somebody who got something you didn't give, you didn't mm. get. So like when I can go, I'm so excited for them. I'm so, and that's not easy for me. You know, the other day hmm. I spoke at a big event, went really well, felt like I killed it. I was so excited about it. Next day, my buddy speaks there. I text him, how was it? How did he go? And he tells me, and he writes this really, you know, great text. And he goes at the end and I got a standing ovation. It felt great. And I was like, screw my life. Cause I didn't get a standing ovation. So suddenly, <laughs> but like, I felt that that was a thing I felt, but it doesn't mean I have to stay there. So like, yeah. I like to say like, fear is a feeling afraid is a choice. Like comparison is a feeling stuck in it is a choice. So I can go, no, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to let that steal my joy of yesterday. Nothing changed from yesterday. I felt great. I did my job. I felt I prepared. I was, it was good. And I want to be the type of person who can celebrate that person. Yeah. Like, and so like when comparison tries to well up, I try to stand back from it and go, wait a second, what's really going on? How do I, you know, how do I support that? I just think it's nearly impossible for high schoolers and teenagers. So I, I keep, you know, one of the things we're writing about in this new book is like admitting as parents, it's not that we made better decisions than teenagers. We just didn't face the same challenges. I would have made mm. the same decisions and mistakes with my phone. We just didn't have it. I would have made yeah. the same mistakes with Instagram. I just, I just didn't have it. So yeah. going like, I can't imagine a world where I could watch every party I didn't get invited to. Now I can do that as an adult, but imagine in high school, the parties that I didn't get invited to because like half of the high school parties have an Instagram wall where they're all taking the same photo. They'll have a hashtag like yeah. in elementary school, at least in America, you're not allowed to bring birthday invitations to the class because then it creates like the kids feel hurt. So you have to invite kids outside of class. You have to see mm. the mom later or whatever, but that's what Instagram and social media does. And so wow. I, I think that's part of the challenge. And then as a parent, as an adult, realizing it's new and being yeah. willing to process it. Like I joke yeah. that one of the hardest things I write is responses to mean girls on text messages where my daughter has been put into some corner and she's like, dad, I don't know what to do with this. I'm like, all right. Well, like, and I'm a New York times bestseller. Let's go, let's go. But that's a challenge. Cause I like, if you're a dad of daughters, mean girls, isn't a movie, it's a documentary. Mm. So you have to go, okay, how do I, how do I help her with this? So like, that's part of the comparison is you stay present as a parent. Yeah. Um, and, and like, there's times when I've, my wife will say the thing you wish you had, you didn't even want, or like, the party you missed, you wouldn't have gone to if you were invited. I'm like, it still would have been nice to be invited. And she's like, that's ridiculous. So even telling your kids, hey, I get that. I do the yeah. same stuff. I do like, I, I get that. You know, I, I go through that. I go through that too. But yeah, I don't think it's easy. Um, the last thing I'd say is admitting that it's new. Like yeah. social media is new. This isn't a hundred years. We mm. should suck at it. We should suck at social media because it's new. Yeah. So like if somebody says, man, I'm still having a hard time on Instagram. Yeah, no kidding. Like yeah. in the 1990s, my mom couldn't compare herself to any other mom except the five that lived on our cul-de-sac. <laughs> she couldn't compare herself to one in Houston, Texas or one in Seattle, Washington. She didn't have access to their lives. Now every mom can compare instantly. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Dude, I laugh whenever you talk about stuff that your wife says because like literally my wife does the same thing and they're so much smarter than us. They see right, yeah. completely right through us. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and they should like, they're, 
I thought about that. That is a good marriage is such an amazing thing hmm. because you're, you've lived with somebody for 20 years that knows yeah. you a good, healthy marriage is such a, such an, it's such a benefit on every heart level. You can imagine where somebody so good. So good. Thing. like, here's one that Jenny, this was like year <laughs> three of our marriage. I went to Costa Rica for three and a half weeks when I was like a Jan term of college. And like, we get married and I'm talking to people at parties and I'm like, if it'd come up, it'd be like, yeah, I lived in Costa Rica when I was in college. And eventually my wife was like, hey, no offense. Um, you didn't live in Costa Rica. You need to stop <laughs> saying that because that is what a lot of people call a lie. Um, you visited for three and a half weeks, which is great. And you can say that, but the way you're framing it right now mm. is not the truth. And, I, and my, I wish my response was, Thank you for that wisdom. You're right. My response was like, what are you talking about? I lived in Costa Rica. And eventually yeah. I was like, oh yeah, she, she's right. She's right on that. Yeah. Um, and little things like that are so fun on the, like eventually. But yeah. my job, I always joke, my job as a husband is to shorten the distance between when she tells me something is true and when I, <laughs> and, and when I believe it and live out of it. Like it yeah. used to be like a grumpy week of me being like, I lived in Costa Rica. And now it's like an hour or two where I go up to my <laughs> office and I'm like, she right? I'm like, yeah, she is right. Yeah. <laughs> I, around. I always say that um, I like hearing God's voice, except when it sounds like my wife's because oh, that's so good. Yeah. Then, it's, then it's harder to hear. Um, yeah. but he often uses her to speak to me uh, about truthful things. Hey, I wanted to I wanted to get super like practical for a second. You had talked about, um, you know, over versus through, like saying, I'm not going to get over fear. I'm going to go through fear. I wrote that, literally wrote that down because I thought that's super helpful. But then I had a, uh, an honest moment with myself and realized I'm probably going to forget that tomorrow uh, or, or something's going to happen next week and I'm going to start recycling some negative thoughts sure. and I'm going to forget what John said, even though I wrote it down. And even though I'm going to put it on a sticky note on my computer, I'm not going to think of that in the moment when I'm out. How do I get over? How do people get over recycling negative talk? Like, how do we get over that? Because it comes up in our brains all the time. So how do we get over that recycled negative talk? Well, I mean, it, it takes work like anything else. I always, I always tell people like, you don't accidentally get better at thinking. Mm. In the same way that you don't accidentally get in shape. I've never met a single person that was like, I was out of shape. And then like I was binge watching Squid Game and I looked up and I was doing burpees. I don't even remember doing burpees. Like it just happened. Like you don't accidentally get better in any part of your life. You don't accidentally become holier. You don't accidentally become, you know, a better father. You don't, yeah. you don't casually do anything. It all takes work. Mm. And so what, I, what I'll tell people is that there's some soundtracks, you know, which is just my phrase for repetitive thought where learning one new thing can change everything. You know, learning yeah. a new thing about yourself, about a situation. Example that I worked with somebody really difficult once. They were always late on their projects. They were just so belligerent and I couldn't stand them. And then I learned his wife had cancer. Mm. And that one sentence changed everything. But there's other times where you've had a broken soundtrack that's been doing push-ups in the prison gym yard for like 10 years. And you take this new idea and go like, good luck. And of course it gets crushed. <laughs> so for me, there's several, several ways I do it. One, you mentioned a, a post-it note. I have notes around my office that I go, okay, I don't want to forget that. This is yeah. important. Like I'll grab one. Hold on. So all this one says is ask for more. Ask for more. I wrote it down on August 27th, 2020. So over a year ago, I found mm -hmm. myself undervaluing my work in negotiations. So I needed a reminder. No, no, ask for more. Let's make mm. that an action. Let's make that an action. It's not sexy. That's not creative. So if somebody's like, well, I don't know how to write great soundtracks. That's not a great soundtrack. Ask for more. So I put that up there. there then there's other times where 
It might be a symbol. It might be a friend. You might call a friend and go, hey, will you hold this soundtrack with me? Like mm. it's enough work that it matters to me. That's will good. you hold it with me? I keep forgetting this. We're not yeah. designed to carry these things alone. Hey, there's this thing mm. I'm trying to do. And then, then you tie it to action. So you might say, okay, fear, you know, the fear one overthrew. Like I, you know, another one I tell people is fear gets a voice, not a vote. So it gets mm. a voice. Uh, I'm going to, you know, it's there. I'm going to learn from it, but it doesn't get a vote. It doesn't get to tell me you're not doing that. So an action might be when I have that fear, I pause. Maybe I write a sentence or two. I'm not going on some long vision quest, but I write it down. And then I go, okay, I'm pushing that to the side. What am I going to do that's the right decision? Not fear of choosing it, but what's this right decision look like? Mm. Or I'm going to reach out to my friend on Sunday. I can tell you, I'm going to get better at handling Sunday stress. That's a nice thing to say. But a smarter, even better thing to say is, I have a reminder on my phone every Sunday to text my buddy. Mm. That reminds me to stay in that moment too. And all I did was set up a reminder on Gmail. It took two seconds. Now I've got an action. And he's going to go, Dude, thanks for checking in. That's really encouraging. And then I get to do that too. So it's little things like that where I don't, you know, it's hard to change all your thoughts all Mm. at once, but it's fairly easy to go. This one thing keeps getting in my way. Like, what do I, what do I want? And sometimes it's just noticing. I mean, again, back to self-awareness, I was on a um, shuttle bus for the Hertz rental shuttle uh, in Denver, the Denver airport. And I was sitting there and this dude got on. And he dropped his water bottle, which must have been carved from like Thor's hammer. It was the heaviest, (laughs) loudest. And it scared me. Like it terrified me. And I immediately said to him, well, that wasn't startling at all. And he felt ashamed because I had kind of like used sarcasm to wound him. And Mm -hmm. I thought, whoa, like what just happened? When I'm afraid, sarcasm comes up as the protection. Okay, well, I need to probably workshop that a little bit. I didn't fix it in the moment. All I did was notice it. And then I can go, huh, I wonder about that. Let me spend some time with that. Let me write about that a little bit. Let me see. Are there other times in my life when I feel uncomfortable that I use sarcasm to try to push through to Hmm. protect me? Like, am I okay with that? Is that the best approach? Have I ever hurt somebody by doing that? Have I ever hurt myself? Because if I had said to him, wow, that was really scary. He would have gone, dude, I know. I'm so sorry. Completely different interaction. Yeah. Um, And so, but just learning and maybe it's because I'm in my forties and I'm just starting to pay attention to stuff, but like paying attention to that changes my ability to be fully human because now I'm not sarcastic, John, protecting myself from something that's afraid. Now I'm going, wow, I felt afraid. I can process that. That's not a bad thing. That's That's a completely different life. That's really good. Hey, this has been such an incredible chat. I, I think I only have one more question for you. If you could go back and speak to 20-year-old John, what advice would you give him? Knowing what you know now, knowing what you know about him, <laughs> um, what, would you say, what would you say to him? Uh, advice for the future. I always say, like, I don't know that he'd listen. I think so, like, I would definitely, I don't, I mean, I was just so kind of, I had that dangerous young combination of uh, high arrogance, low, low wisdom, which mm-hmm. is dangerous because you think you know everything and you know the least amount. Like, yeah. um, and so I think I would say find somebody who has the kind of life you'd like and, and be humble enough to be in a relationship where you can yeah. ask them questions. Because I think that's really valuable to say, well, oh, that person is 10 years ahead of me or that person yeah. is 15 years ahead of me. Like, I really... I want to, and I wouldn't do it. I always tell people, if you're looking for a mentor, don't send this long email. That's like, 
hey, I want us to have coffee every day until we both die. And then we'd be buried <laughs> next to each other in a cemetery. And like successful people are very busy and they have access to their own coffee. Like they yeah. have, they have coffee. The best thing to do is to say, send like a two sentence email that says, I really admire the way you live your life, whatever. Can you recommend one book I read? One mm. book. And then guess what? Read that book, buy it, tell them, Hey, I just bought the book. Thanks so much. Mm. read it and then write them another short email that goes, here's the three things I learned from that. Is there a second book you'd recommend? Mm. They will be blown away that you took the time, that you read it, that you sent them three questions. Like I know a guy, he has a book. He's a super successful real estate kind of mogul in um, Southern California. And he has a book he loves and he gives it to potential agents who want to work with him. And he says, just read to page 50, at least page 50. And on page 50, he has a note with his cell phone that says, Hey, if you made it this far, we might be able to do some great work together. Call me. And he's like, if they call me, they've got a real good shot at being part of my team. He said, wow. most people never call me. So dude, I love stuff like that. So I would try to get that younger version of me to learn from the people around them. Yeah. So good. John, as always, thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely incredible. Uh, there's so many things that I want to go back and listen to again. So thank you for, for that. Thank you for all the work that you do as well. Dude, I cannot wait to see you at conference. Um, oh, so it's going to be the best. I can't wait. It's going to be the best. It'll be so fun. I'm so glad we're getting to do it. So yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Thanks, dude. I appreciate you. See you, buddy. Thank you so much, John, for joining us. Now, those of you listening, if you enjoyed listening to this conversation, you can purchase John's book, Soundtracks, in the Orange Store at orangestore.com or wherever books are sold. We'd also love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, for example, we love this review by Caleb. He says this, this is hands down the best family ministry podcast out there. It covers anyone leading ministries from birth through high school, the topics, interviews, and messages are relevant and great, and it's also fun, which makes it even better. Caleb, thank you so much for your review. Now, we can't wait for you to join us at Orange Conference 2022 so that you can join the conversation and we can continue learning what it means to be human together. So go to theorangeconference.com to save your seat for an Orange Conference like you've never seen it before. And we'll see you next time on the Think Orange podcast. Orange Conference.